Due to technical difficulties, the first three or so minutes of this week's podcast feature low-volume, poor-quality audio. We've corrected the problem for future podcasts and look forward to you enjoying higher-quality sermons from the Elevate Christian Church podcast in the coming weeks. Thank you for understanding. Hello there! Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! I know a lot of people have been watching a lot of TV because a lot of people are already cooped up and trapped in their homes. Uh, AMC has a new show out entitled Dispatches from Elsewhere. Now, let me say this right out of the gate. I'm neither endorsing or denouncing the show. Um, we are a church that, that are not going to tell you how to vote, what to watch, what to listen to. Uh, we want to connect you to God and then connect you to each other, and we want you to work those types of things out uh, between you and the Lord. But in this show, Dispatches from Elsewhere, it stars Sally Field, and in one of the scenes, it's kind of a fantasy-driven show, uh, she's able to put on these VR goggles, and she's actually able to go inside of her mind and walk around in her past memories. It's a very fascinating concept, and so she decides to go back and relive her wedding day. And she puts these goggles on, and sure enough, she's in the middle of the reception. She can see her husband when he's younger she can see all the guests that are there she can hear the conversations but she cannot see herself and so she is instructed uh, to go look in a mirror and in the mirror you'll see a picture you've got the old Sally Field uh, talking to the younger Sally Field it's really a remarkable scene uh, and they exchange their hopes and dreams and they start trading out wisdom well, during the scene, the younger version of Sally Field gets very angry when she finds out that her life didn't turn out the way that she planned it. She begins to belittle the older version of herself for not taking risks in life, uh, for playing it safe, for putting other people's hopes and dreams before hers. Well, the older Sally Field kind of punches back. And she explains to the younger version of herself that her hopes and dreams sounded good on paper, but they were naive and they lacked wisdom and understanding. That the realities of the world can sometimes be harsh or downright cruel at times. It's, it's a very captivating scene. And so I want to ask about you. Uh, what if you were able to younger version of yourself? What advice would you give to yourself? What might surprise you about how your worldview has shifted uh, after you've lived life for a while? It's an incredible concept. I hear a lot of people say this to me over the years. They say, hey, Kevin, if I could just go back 20 years, or, to, or if I could go back and be 20 years old again and know what I know now, uh, and then they talk about how different their lives would be. Anyone ever thought of that? Um, 
If I could go back and talk to this guy, I don't know if the picture is going to show up because we're, we're trying to, to navigate through the sound issue here, but to the 28-year-old version of myself, I think I would be able to really impart some valuable wisdom. I, I could tell myself that, hey, life is good. It's not always going to be good, but mostly. And when it's not good, be assured it's just a matter of time and it's going to get better. I would remind myself to keep exercising and eating well and, and living healthy and living within a budget. I would schedule rest and recreation. Uh, the older I get, the more important I understand uh, why. I would remind myself, hey, Kevin, life is a journey, which means things are going to change. Even important things will change. Sometimes shocking things will happen. But nevertheless, it's a good journey. And it's worth every step. I would say with much enthusiasm, don't sweat the small things in life. Keep your focus on God and live out your purpose. I would direct myself to the words of Job in Job chapter 12, verse 12, where Job says these words. Is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? You see, wisdom is the most valuable thing that we can possess. And now some people say, well, no, 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 money is the most valuable thing that we can possess. But I would, I would say this, money is of no good to you if you don't know how to manage it with wisdom. Wisdom is what makes a person wealthy. Proverbs 8.11 says, for wisdom is better than jewels. And all that, may desire, all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So we are continuing our series today called Alive and Well. Uh, this is the series we were in before the uh, apocalypse happened. And, you know, I, I, I thought about getting up again and kind of speaking about the COVID-19 virus and the crisis that we're in. But I decided, you know what, I just want to go to the Word of God where we were before all this began, because the Word of God offers peace, it offers hope, it offers healing. And so we're going to just continue with our Alive and Well series, and let me remind you of the premise of this series, we want your faith to be alive and well in Jesus Christ. We don't want you to have a dead faith, we don't want your faith to be dormant, we don't want your faith to be on life support but we want it to be alive and well. And so this morning, James is going to talk to us about the value wisdom plays in our faith. And so to begin with, let's talk briefly about the difference between knowledge and wisdom. You know, knowledge and, wi and wisdom may sound like synonyms, uh, but they're not. Let's talk about knowledge first. Knowledge is the accumulation of facts and data that you and I have learned or experienced. So it's being aware of something and having information on that something. Knowledge is really about facts, ideas that we acquire through study, research, investigation, observation. Wisdom's a little bit different. Wisdom is the ability to discern and judge which aspects of that knowledge are true, right, lasting, and applicable to our life. It's the ability to apply the knowledge that we have to a greater scheme of life. And so think of it this way. 
Think about seeing a desert path that you're going to take a hike on. Knowledge will tell you, hey, this path is in the desert and it is 12.4 miles long. So I'm going to walk 12 or run 12.4 miles. That's knowledge. Wisdom, on the other hand, is understanding, yes, this path is 12.4 miles long. However, I'm in the, the middle of nowhere. I'm in the desert. And so I've got to have the foresight to bring enough water, to perhaps bring a first aid kit along, to perhaps wear sunscreen, make sure my phone is charged and I have signal in case something happens on this desert path. Do you see the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Someone once said this, knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in a fruit salad. Sandra Carey says this, never mistake knowledge for wisdom. One helps you make a living, the other helps you make a life. And so when James speaks to us this morning about wisdom, he's going to be speaking about the ability to apply the knowledge we have to the greater schemes of our lives. And so what I'd like to do this morning is we're going to be in James chapter 3, and I'm going to read verses 13 through 18, the entire text, and then we'll come back through and, and swim around in the text a little bit. So if you have your Bibles, James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, here's what James writes. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works and meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. He continues, this is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so in just a second, you're going to see that James is going to compare and contrast the difference between two types of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And what he's going to do is he's going to contrast their origins, their operations, and their outcomes. But before we get into those two comparisons, allow me to take you back to last summer here at Elevate. Last summer was our Summer of Wisdom, uh, and we did a series entitled Wisdom is a Woman. Um, and we did that for the duration of the summer, and we spent a lot of time in the book of Proverbs chapter 9, which talks about these two types of wisdom, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. And in Proverbs chapter 9, if you remember the series, we're introduced to two ladies, Lady Folly, who represents the wisdom of the world, and Lady Wisdom, who represents the wisdom of God. 
And in Proverbs chapter 9, both of these ladies are offering to us to come to their house and have dinner. I just want you to see, first of all, Lady Folly, just in review to set us up to go back into James. It says this in Proverbs 9, 13, the woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. And so it tells us that folly is loud and foolish. You don't have to wonder if she's around. You don't really have to wait around to hear a worldly opinion. It's going to come, and it's going to come loud, and it's going to be in your face. Verses 14 and 15 says, She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest place of town, calling to those who pass by, who are going straight on their way. She longs for attention and is constantly on the hunt for it. She's aggressive And she pursues us in order to get what she wants. Look at verses 16 and 17. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in the secret is pleasant. And so the food and the drink that she serves is stolen. It's stolen food. You have to eat it in secret. And I think there's a very deep meaning here. Folly or worldly wisdom entices us in for dinner, but the dinner that's served is stolen. And I think this is a picture of what the devil does. He is the great counterfeiter. Everything that he uses is stolen. He takes the gifts of God, steals them, perverts them, and then uses the stolen goods to fill our desires. We've got to remember that Satan is not a creator. He's an imitator. He steals from God just like Lady Folly in this passage. But I want you to vote, notice verse 18 here but he do, of Proverbs chapter 9. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. And so the picture that we painted for you this summer uh, of Lady Folly is that she invites you into her house. You sit down to have dinner with with her she pours you the stolen water and brings out the stolen bread and there you are eating at her table and your foot bumps against something and so you peek under the table and as far as you can see all you see is dead bodies you look under the table and there are dead people everywhere these are her former guests that have dined with her and you begin to realize yikes i'm in trouble Run, get out of here because all of Lady Folly's guests end up in the depths of Sheol. Sheol is a Hebrew word for pit. It literally translates hell, a place of conscious existence and judgment. And so Proverbs 9 says that Lady Folly is waiting for us to come to dinner. And she feeds us worldly wisdom. Well, also in Proverbs chapter 9, you have Lady Wisdom who is beautiful and upright and pure. And that represents godly wisdom. Look at Proverbs 9, verse 1. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn herself seven pillars. Now, the seven pillars are figurative. In other words, they don't represent the seven principles of wisdom. But in the Bible, the number seven represents completeness and perfection. And so this verse poetically states that wisdom lacks nothing. Wisdom from God is complete. It's pure. It's perfect. Look at verse 2 of Proverbs chapter 9. She slaughtered her beasts and she mixed her wine. She has also set her table. 
So just like Lady Folly, her table's set, she's ready for dinner, but her provisions are not stolen. They are hers, given to her by God. It represents God's provision for you and I. And look at verses 3 through 6. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in town. Whoever is simple, let him turn here. To him who lacks sense, she says, come eat my bread and drink my wine that I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the way of insight. And so Lady Wisdom is appealing to us. She's saying, don't go down that road. Don't eat with folly. Come to my house. It's safe here. The food is better. Come and dine with me. There are no dead people under my table. I'm not serving stolen bread and water, but a feast with meat and wine. Now, remember that dinner with Lady Folly leads to death under her table, but dinner with Lady Wisdom leads to life. Look at verse 11. For by me your days will be multiplied and years will be added to your life. And so all of us, whether we know it or not, follow one of these two sources of wisdom. We either buy into the wisdom of the world, of humanity and mankind, or we buy into the wisdom of God, this heavenly wisdom. And so with that stage set, let's go back to James. And James is going to contrast these two types of wisdoms. We're going to see their origins, their operations, and their outcome. Let's talk about the contrast in origins first. We see the origin of worldly wisdom. And we ask the question, well, where does worldly wisdom come from? Well, in James chapter 3, verse 15, he says this. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. And so this verse is explaining where worldly wisdom comes from. It doesn't come from above. It, it, it comes from three sources. So picture, if you would, three rivers that are flowing, but they converge together to make one river. This is what James is saying. He's saying, listen, when it comes to wisdom, the believer has three enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And he mentions those three, in the, uh, those three enemies in the passage we just read because he says that wisdom not from God is earthly. That represents the world. It's the worldly pattern of thinking. It's the me, 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 hedonistic attitude. He also mentions that it's unspiritual. That's referring to our flesh, the unspiritual part of us. All of us who are Christians, God has given us a new heart, a regenerated heart, but it's still incarcerated by our flesh. And so we still fight that flesh until the day we die. And then he mentions that it's demonic. In other words, the origin of worldly wisdom, wisdom comes from the devil himself. He is the source. He is the father of all lies. And I want you to understand that God is directly opposed to that kind of wisdom because it originates from evil. It is birthed out of our sin. Paul speaks to this in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 18 through 20. For the word of the cross is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved by its power. I'm sorry, for, the, for who are being saved it is the power of God, for it is written, 
I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? You see, God has some strong words for people who think that, hey, my way is better than God's way, who rely on their own flawed, perverted, impure logic. And so worldly wisdom originates from the devil through our flesh and the rules here on earth. Now, compare that to the origins of godly wisdom. Where does godly wisdom originate? Where is its source? Well, we find that in verse 17 of, of the text. James says this, but the, wi- but the wisdom from above is first pure. So where does it come? It comes from above. It's God raining down his wisdom onto us and into our heart. It comes from heaven. Now, I don't think I need to spend a lot of time on this point. One wisdom comes from the enemy, and the other wisdom comes from God. Uh, so allow me to illustrate. Uh, you're going to have two, two pictures, uh, or, or a picture of two glasses of water that should appear on your screen. And you're going to be able to notice the difference pretty quickly. Uh, one is from a scummy pond. It's, it's full of bacteria, it's full of debris, it's full of uh, amoebas that could really do harm if you drank that water. And one is from a pure spring, as pure as you could get. Now, obviously, I'm going to ask you the question, which one would you rather drink? Well, if you're smart, you would probably say the pure water. Because the dirty water from the pond that has scum and debris and all kinds of bacteria in it It might quench your thirst at first, but just give it some time, and eventually it's going to make you sick. And so worldly wisdom might quench the thirst in our souls for a season, but eventually it's going to make us sick. It's going to make us sin sick. So why do people constantly drink the dirty water? Why do people constantly go to the source of worldly wisdom over godly wisdom. Well, I think Paul tells us why in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, he says this, in their case, the God of this world, that's Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. So I I would picture it this way. the, the devil blinds our, our eyes. He blinds our minds. And a lot of times we're kind of walking around in this dark world and, and, and we get thirsty. And so the devil says, here you go. And he hands us that glass of dirty water. And like I said, for a while it quenches our thirst, but the water's contaminated because it comes from the wrong source. It comes from the wrong origin. And so God is saying, listen, no, 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 listen to my voice. Follow me. I've got water that's pure. I've got water that will satisfy every thirst because it originates from me, God. It's the right source. Jesus had this encounter with a Samaritan woman at the well, and he spoke to her about this water. In John 4, 14, he says, But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will be 
in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You know, we see these words of Jesus also echoed before he even spoke them in the Old Testament. Proverbs 16.22 says this, Good sense or, or good thinking, being wise, is a fountain of life to him who has it. But the instruction of fools is folly. And so contrast in origin. One comes from the devil. One comes from above, raining down on us from God. That's the origin of those two types of wisdom. Now let's talk about how these two types of wisdoms operate. In other words, how they play themselves out uh, in our lives. The wisdom from above operates different from the wisdom that's worldly. So let's look at worldly wisdom first. In James 3.14, he says this, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the faith. And so what James is doing here, he is giving us evidences of what it looks like, how worldly wisdom looks, how it operates. And in verse 14, he says it operates in the camp of bitter jealousy. And think about it. This is how worldly wisdom op operates, bitter jealousy. It tells us this. Hey, you promote yourself. You are far better than those people. If they get something that you think you deserve, it's okay to be envious. It's okay to be jealous. It's okay to be hostile. The wheel that squeaks the loudest gets the grease. I deserve the glory. I deserve the credit. Verse 14 also talks about selfish ambition. You know, a more literal word for than selfish ambition, some translations use the word strife. Strife. And the word strife means a party spirit. It was used by the Greeks to describe a politician out canvassing for votes. The wisdom of the world operates with this mantra. Get all the support you can. Ask people to take your side. Enable you. And then you can do what you want. You're the most important person in the room. He also says that worldly wisdom operates with boasting. You know, pride loves to boast. And nothing is prouder than the wisdom of men. You know, so I get the picture of somebody clapping, kind of sticking their chest out about their, their, their selves, about their life. Look at me. I am wise. Ronald Reagan tells the following story. It's a true story. He says that he addressed a, a very large, distinguished audience in Mexico City. And so he gave his speech, and he sat down to a rather scattered and unenthusiastic round of applause. He said he felt somewhat embarrassed. And what was even more embarrassing to him was the man that got up after him that spoke, a representative of the Mexican, Mexican government who was speaking in Spanish, which Reagan didn't understand. This guy got up to speak and every other sentence was interrupted with a roar of applause, and people were standing with this very enthusiastic applause. Reagan says, to hide my embarrassment, I started clapping before anyone else, and longer and louder than anyone else, until one of the ambassadors from the United States leaned over and said to him, I wouldn't do that, Mr. President, if I were you. 
He's just simply interpreting the speech that you just gave. See, that's an innocent mistake, but that's a picture of worldly wisdom. Clapping at our own speech, boasting in what we have done and we alone. Now contrast that with how godly wisdom operates in verse 13. James says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see, godly wisdom operates not in boasting, but in meekness. Meekness is, is very important. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Now, what is meekness? Meekness has been de defined as power under control. The Greek word actually means a horse that's been broken, so his power's under control. Now, we've had several conversations here at Elevate, and you know how I feel about horses. When I was a little boy, I was on a horse with my dad riding up a mountain, and the horse went nuts, and we got thrown off. And so I've always been a little leery because horses are such strong and powerful animals. But meekness paints the picture of a horse that still has all that strength. It has all that power, but it's under control. It's been tamed. And so... You can say things like, whoa, and the horse will stop, or giddy up, and the horse will go. The power is there, it's just under control. And so godly wisdom is that, it's power under control. It provides us with the foresight to say, whoa, and pull the reins of our tongue back, and not say something that's ungodly or something that we shouldn't say. It provides us the power to say, giddy up. It's having the wisdom from God to move and pull and plow under his hand. When we hand the reins of our life to him. Meekness is how godly wisdom operates. Look at the other operations in verse 17 of James chapter 3. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. I mean, we could do an entire eight-week series on this verse alone. I want you to think about it. As you look at that verse, are these not the qualities that you would like to possess? Like, if I have a 14-year-old daughter. And so if you're a father like me, don't you want your daughter to meet a man who is pure and peaceable and gentle? If you somehow find yourself in a courtroom as a defendant, don't you want a judge who's open to reason and impartial and sincere? If you hit rock bottom in your life, don't you wish for God to send someone who is full of mercy and good fruits? And so as we kind of look at these two lists, how they operate, I want you to think about something. Imagine you're single, all right, and you're looking for a person to share your life with. And so you decide to go on a dating site, uh, match.com, equally yoked, plenty of fish, farmers only, whatever you use, right? All right? And you're trying to find the perfect person. Now imagine that dating site could look inside of that person and they could pull out the qualities and list them for you. And so you've got person A who operates under worldly wisdom. And so you see their qualities. First of all, they're filled with bitter jealousy. 
So they're never going to trust you. They're always going to question you. They're always going to question your motives. They're full of selfish ambition. They're always going to put themselves first. They're going to do what they want to do all the time. So you're going to watch what they want to watch. You're going to go out to eat where they want to go. And they're going to use you for their own selfish game. You'll have a life filled with strife. There's boasting involved in this person. They're always going to tell you how great they are. You could never compare to their greatness. You're lucky to be in their presence. They are who they are, and it equals greatness. So that's person A that you could date. But person B has the characteristics of godly wisdom. They're pure. In other words, their motives are pure. They love you for you. They're peaceable. They're looking for redemption, not retaliation. They're gentle. They hold your heart with extreme respect and caution. They're open to reason. You can actually have a two-way conversation in which both of your opinions matter. They're full of mercy and good fruits. They love and they respect you and they show you empathy and compassion. They're impartial and sincere. They love you enough to not enable you. So which person would you choose? Well, most of us in here would choose person B. Most of, most of us would say, yeah, I, I'll date that person. I want to spend my life with that person. You see, there's quite a contrast between how worldly wisdom operates and how godly wisdom operates. So you've got the origins, the operations, and then finally, let's look at the outcomes of these two types of wisdom. You know, it's been said that origin de determines outcome. And so worldly wisdom will produce worldly results. But godly wisdom will produce spiritual results. Worldly wisdom produces trouble. Wrong thinking produces wrong living. I think one reason the world is in such a mess is because men and women have refused to accept the wisdom of God. The outcome of worldly wisdom leads to destruction. It leads to death. Look at Proverbs 14, 12. It says this, There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. See, the outcome is death, eternal, irreversible death. But godly wisdom has a different outcome. Godly wisdom leads not to death, but to life. Proverbs 4, 11 through 13. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. And if you run... You will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. So again, you see, worldly wisdom leads to death. Godly wisdom always leads to life. Whenever Scripture talks about godly wisdom, you're always going to see life attached to that. So let me give you just two application principles as we, as we get ready to get out of here. Um, on godly wisdom, and they're, they're very basic. Number one is simply this. We have to understand this, that true godly wisdom is relying on God's strength and God's strength alone. It's his reason, it's his logic, it's his rules. We rely on his strength. 
I love Proverbs 3, 5. You've, you've heard it quoted many, many times. I'm sure if you grew up in the church, it says this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. So I want you to think about this. When you trust someone, I mean deeply, you really, really trust someone, you're not just going to share a few surface secrets and let that person borrow your favorite shirt, are you? You're going to trust them with everything. You're going to completely rely on them. I love the word used in Proverbs 3, 5. The word for trust here literally translated means to spread flat upon. So just imagine yourself laying on the ground, just spread flat upon. This is what God is calling us to do, to fully trust and rely on him, to spread ourselves out before him, to rely on his strength, to say, God, we don't really know what's going on, but we trust you. And friends, we need to trust him now more than ever. Because we, every day things change. We don't know what's going on. I've kind of had the mantra with our staff here is we're not going to plan like two or three or four weeks ahead or six months ahead. Like every two days things change. But listen, there's chaos. The economy's not great. You've got this virus going around. But God says, hey, listen, just trust in me with all of your heart. Just spread flat upon. Don't lean on your own understanding. I mean, I think if God was here, he would tell you what everyone else is telling you. Wash your hands, wear some hand sanitizer, be safe, walk with caution, but don't live in fear. But he's saying, listen, trust in me. The second application principle is simply this. True godly wisdom is rejecting our own wisdom. It's getting rid of our opinions on how God should run the universe. Look at Proverbs 3, 5 again, but with verses 6 and 7 attached to it. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Be wise, not in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, and turn away from evil. Lean not on, on your own understanding. Be wise in your own eyes. In other words, God is saying, reject what you think is right and learn to trust and know what God thinks is right. Follow that path. Don't just follow the path of knowledge. Follow the path of wisdom where you know something, but then you also know God has a plan and a purpose and a direction for your life. I want to show you a picture my daughter Reagan is now 14 years old. This picture was when she was about six years old. Um, and what I decided to do was to get her a gumball machine. When I was a little kid, I had this gumball machine where you would put a, a penny in, right, and you would turn it and a gumball would roll out. I thought it was the greatest thing ever. So I bought her this gumball machine and everything was going well. And one particular day, my wife Lindy was gone. I don't, I don't even remember where she was, but I was in charge of Reagan and she had gotten into that gumball machine, and somehow, I mean, I've never had any problems with gum. I chew it, and I can blow bubbles. I can even use it as an as a adhesive at times. But for whatever reason, she got this huge wad of gum stuck in her hair. All right? Now, she was just six, and she was unwise. She didn't know how to get it out of her hair. So I think at first she tried pulling it out. 
That didn't work. Then she tried to rub it in, you know, try to rub it out. Well, that made it worse. I think she got some dry, uh, some shampoo and put in her dry hair and tried to pull it out. At the end of the day, it, it was like a small rodent had built a nest in her hair. And I'm going to be honest with you. The only thing I could think was, man, I hope Lenny doesn't get home anytime soon because i got to figure this out because I'm going to be in trouble. Now, Reagan was ready to cut her hair. All right, well, once I found out, I'm wiser than her. I'm her father. And so I did what any good father would do in that situation. I Googled it. How do you get this gum out of this little girl's hair? And I don't remember the exact concoction, but it involved like peanut butter, vegetable oil, Vaseline. It was this thing that you made and you put it in, in her hair. And I was able to, it took me about an hour, but I was able to get it all out before my wife got home. What I want to pull from that is that I think oftentimes we make a mess of things in our lives when we lean on our own wisdom, our own understanding. Even when we lean on ungodly, worldly wisdom from people around us. But we have a heavenly Father who is wise. His wisdom is pure and peaceable and gentle. He knows what's best for us. So often what seems best to us is the worst to to God. What makes sense to us is senseless to Him. We have to trust in God with all of our hearts by admitting we don't always know what's best for us, but he does. And I want to encourage you now more than ever to stop listening to the voices of the world and listen to the voice of God. Wisdom from God, from above, rains down on us. It's his wisdom that helps to guarantee that our faith is alive and well. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.